a more important time to invest in our own wildlife. To try and set an example for the rest of the world and restore our once wild isles for future generations. The news from RTHK. I'm Dr. Emma Nam. The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centers, designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations, or opt for the home vaccination service. Good morning and welcome to Week on 3. I'm Janice Wong. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll be hearing some of the best of Radio 3 that you may have missed over the past week. Stay tuned to get the latest update on the Kitex Sports Park that's scheduled to open next year. And find out how you can help your elderly relatives manage their finances. First though, it was International Women's Day on Wednesday. And on Backchat, we discussed gender equality in the workplace. Jenny Lam and I spoke to Stephanie Ng, founder and executive director of Body Banter, a charity dedicated to empowering voices in conversations about body image and mental health. We also spoke to Christine Yu, co-founder of Sophia, a female-focused financial education platform, and unionist lawmaker Lam Chen Singh. Stephanie Ng first shared her view on how well she thinks Hong Kong is doing in pursuing gender equality. I think Hong Kong is actually taking great strides um, in in representing women, and you know I've been really encouraged, especially surrounding International Women's Day, um, to see lots of different initiatives popping up, um, promoting women's voices, and I'm also really encouraged to see um, some organizations that are doing great work in Hong Kong to keep women safe and to promote women's rights. Um, so a shout out to one of the organizations that I've previously worked with, Teens Key, and they are a charitable organization that um, takes a holistic approach to supporting young marginalized women, um, as well as their sexual and reproductive health. So. Obviously, there is much to be done still um, in Hong Kong's um, kind of representation of women in the workplace. Um, and I know that this is an issue, but I also did want to start on a, on a positive note and say that there is good work being done in Hong Kong as well to support women. All right. So, uh, let's go to Miss Yu. Um, good morning. Good morning. Now, um, you have a background in finance and banking, a, a traditionally male-dominated industry. How do you think gender balance in the sector has uh, shifted over the years? Well, I think that there's been a lot of change. Um, and I think, again, just starting on the positives, I think when I um, was in, you know, I like to say I grew up on two trading floors. Um, so the majority of my career has been spent um, in traditional finance. Um, and I would say that, you know, I did see a lot of women around me in the sector. I just didn't see a lot of women making capital allocation decisions. I didn't see a lot of women, you know, in the big seats of decision-making. I didn't see women, you know, making decisions on um, trading P&L or, or, or P&L in general. Um, and I think it's, you know, fast forward to today, I think we are seeing a lot of great concerted efforts um, in the financial services sector um, to really um, ensure that, um, that their diversity is present um, in their leadership, um, especially um, in the capital allocating decision roles. 
but I do think there is more to go. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I'd love to kind of get into that with you today. But I think that, you know, that's the basic, right, that, that we, we want to see um, some change happening. And change is happening. Um, but, you know, for, for someone like me who works in gender, um, who cares deeply about women and their financial equity, um, I do you know, want to focus on, you know, the, the, the issue of women um, and their ability to create wealth and have those decision-making powers because, you know, be having a seat at the table, you know, it, it matters, um, you know, in, in, in women and their wealth creation journey. Yeah, so, um, um, Christine, you, you are a co-founder of Sophia, which is a financial education platform for women. Now, what are some of the... Um, issues in financial uh, investment or finance in general that are specific to women that women encounter and men don't? I, that, this is a topic uh, very close to my heart. Thank you for the question. So there is this thing called the gender wealth and investing gap. And what this is, is that women do not invest at the same rates that men do and as a result they retire with so much less wealth than men in fact they retire with about 25 percent less this is globally um, but this actually widens um, in higher skilled roles so that is staggering and especially to think that women are living longer lives than men so our money has to stretch out for way longer um, and you know there are many stats but uh, you know, generally, you know, women can lose over a million U.S. dollars over the course of their careers by not investing. But everyone asks me this question, well, well, you know, why? Why is there a gender wealth and investing gap? And I think we can take a look at two main factors, which is the gender pay gap, which means we just make less money than men. That is a fact. Um, and also the role of traditional gender roles, right? And in, in terms of, you know, when we're taking a step back from our careers um, and, and our ability to create wealth. And if I, you know, had to break down, for example, going back to the gender pay gap, um, you know, I think that this actually paints um, the picture for women in Hong Kong. So I think that, you know, when, when women are under 20 years old, they actually out-earn men by just a percent. Um, by the time women are in their 30s, they under-earn men by 11%. And by the time women are in their 60s, they under-earn men by 50%. I mean, let that sink. I think that's that always, you know, sends chills down my spine. What happens um, in those intervening years between age 30 and 60? Most women take a step back from the careers they or they prioritize supporting their financial their sorry their family support right and they they take on the unpaid labor of caregiving whether it's for for young children um or the elderly in their in their families and so what happens as well in this time well as they take a step back from their careers as they take on the unpaid um labor um, of caregiving at home they also are deferring in long-term investment decisions to men. Um, a UBS study actually shows that women take the lead, 80% of women take the lead on short-term financial planning, where that's, you know, the cash management, the budgeting. But just 24% of women take the lead for their families um, with regards to investing and insurance. And that deferment um, is seen through, you know, really deferring to their partners um, through marriage. So. It's funny because people ask me, well, well, is it just that women are more conservative um, in their investing outlook or is it that women lack the confidence to invest? 
You know, I think the, the, a very simple answer would say yes to both those questions, but that doesn't get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that women have barriers to creating their wealth because, A, the gender pay gap, which I've just talked about, and B, the role of traditional gender roles um, and how that plays and who takes on the unpaid labor and who is basically taking on that wealth creation, right, whether they're, you know, taking on their careers, uh, and, and who does the caregiving. Right. Miss Miss Yu, so you're not just talking about difficulties for women uh, to climb the top of the corporate ladder. You're talking about um, just simple working in general. I mean, because of their traditional roles, you're talking about their caregiving roles. Um, let's go to Mr. Lam for a moment. Mr. Lam? Yeah, yeah. Hello. You, hello. Good morning. You, you just uh, recently did a study on that. Uh, what difficulties are women facing in, in, uh, in finding work? Um, um, actually, I think in the past few years, uh, in fact, the women's rights and benefits was improved, uh, uh, especially in the workplace. Uh, for example, the 14-week secretary maternity leave support the female to take care of their newborn baby. And also the government amend the sex uh, discrimination ordinance which prohibit uh, discrimination against and harassment uh, towards the breastfeeding women and at the past uh, decade uh, the employees retraining board also provide many training to women and they can learn new skill and to join the workforce again after their children grow up and most of them can participate in frontline service industry and at the past, many uh, uh, women engage in service industry. They are non-skilled worker and suffer from low salary. And, and the minimum wages uh, level implement since uh, 2011 so that the female frontline worker can have uh, basic protection. And, and it can, I, I think it can attract more female to join the workforce. But although the benefit was improved, but now, Nowadays, the women also face some new challenge. For example, uh, the women uh, who they need to work and also need to take care of their children, they face many difficulties because there's not enough child care service in Hong Kong. And, and let's say an example, some of our trade union members, they are female and they find a job and tell the employer that they need to take care of their, their children and need to finish the work on time and cannot overtime work and also cannot work in Sunday and then the employer will tell them uh, go home first and, and wait for the message and finally will not uh, may not employ them. So uh, uh, that's the problem. Well, I think the key issue that I'm, I want to tease out here a little bit more on this program, just hearing what everyone's been saying, is it doesn't matter what industry um, it is, but um, the reality is that, you know, it's not about fixing women. I mean, I, yes, I, I agree that, you know, there's a lot of upskilling that needs to happen, um, you know, to, to transform um, the careers that are possible for women. But I think the number one detriment to women having a broader and more impactful um, contribution kind of in not only just wealth creation and, and financial equity, um, but also just generally um, in a, a diverse 
um, career um, is really, again, how are families viewing who takes care of the kids and the elderly, right? It's really about traditional gender roles. Right. It, and uh, caregiving is a family um, responsibility. And I think that that is the key thing that we need to address here. It's not just you know, uh, a woman's role to be doing that. I think that is what um, kind of gets in the way for women um, in, in society. And that's Christine Yu, co-founder of Sophia, speaking on Backchat. Let's now turn to Common Room. And this week, Alison Howe caught up with Darren Burden, Executive Director of Kaitak Sports Park, where he gave her an update on developments there. There's so much happening within the sports park in the coming years. Yes. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that you can tell us about. <laughs> okay. Well, well, maybe let's just start off telling you a little bit about what I do at Kaitak Sports Park, um, because obviously that's central to the, to the question. Um, I think in a nutshell, probably the easiest way of explaining it is that my role is to ensure that when the construction finishes, Kitak Sports Park can operate successfully. So as you can imagine, we're working very closely with the design and build team, making sure that um, we're providing our input as the operator to ensure that everything is built and obviously designed and built uh, the best way possible to ensure a successful operation. So there's a lot of uh, communication flow and meetings that happen with us and the design and build team. And then the second part is really us doing our own work and making sure that everything is ready to open. And so we're doing things like working very closely with the Hong Kong Rugby Union at the moment about um, Hong Kong Rugby Sevens and making sure that we've got uh, that event booked into our calendar. And obviously we're talking to a whole host of other people, uh, not just here in Hong Kong, but around the world about the events that we would like to book and, and obviously starting those conversations now in time for our opening. We've got to have things like our ticketing systems need to be up and running because obviously people need to have tickets to be able to come to these events. Sure. We need to ensure that we've got staff and all of our staff are, are recruited and our staff are trained because uh, we want to make sure that when people come to the sports park, they're going to have a great time. And in order for that to happen, we need to make sure that our staff know what they're doing. So there's a lot of work that we do around all of that. Mm. We've got food and beverage services across the precinct as well. So all of that needs to be up and ready and good to go. Uh, and then we've got things that probably the more boring stuff, really, but things like um, the service contracts and the facilities management. We need to make sure all of those systems are up and running, as well as all the technology um, systems that we need to have in place. But these are really important things nonetheless. They need to be able to work properly so that when we do have a finished project, the construction team move away and we're ready to open, that we've got a, a really fantastic facility that all Hong Kongers are proud of. We have seen so many incredible graphics like the one that you've got on the backdrop and beautiful architecture. But apart from that, like you mentioned, there's so many different elements that goes into running a sports park. Do you sometimes feel like you're doing like a real life SimCity? Uh, <laughs> well, I think on this project, it's a bit like that. Um, you, you think about other projects around the world where they build stadiums and arenas. It, it's actually quite simple compared to this one because they're basically building one building. Um, here we've got a stadium, we've got an arena, we've got a sports health and wellness centre, we've got retail malls, we've got 
uh, an athletic stadium and the list sort of goes on and on and on so um, I, I think from my perspective one of the things that's really great is seeing all of these various buildings that are coming out of the ground um, I mean we spent probably two years I think we were on site before anything really started to come out of the ground because they were basically doing all of the foundation work so all of the piles that were going into the ground wasn't really a lot to see to be quite honest with you but <laughs> in the last year year and a half or so all of a sudden we're seeing all these buildings come out of the ground and if anyone has driven past the site in recent times you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about you know the the roof yeah. structure is is going on the stadium now so um, you know a lot of the, a lot of the buildings that we have here they're, they're coming along at a fairly quick rate of knots now which from our perspective as the operator is right okay we need to get going with some of the things that we need to sort out and make sure that we're ready what kind of time frame are we looking at so um we're trying to get the um public sports ground uh open uh by the end of this year so that's that's a pretty Ooh. lofty target at the moment but that's what we're, we're trying to do so at least to have some form of kind of what we call soft opening events and by that i mean it won't necessarily be fully open but we'll be able to do something within that um within that venue which enables people to come along and enjoy that to us to a certain degree so that's the that's the first key milestone that we're working to and then as we get into probably the second half of next year is when we're really starting to get serious about the indoor sports center which is obviously the next um the, the, the probably the next building of scale um, that's, that's bigger than the public sports ground. And then lastly, towards the end of 2024, that's when we're going to be opening the entirety of the precinct. So the main stadium will be open then, the public open space will be open then, everything else that, that's across the precinct will be open at that point. So th those are the targets. Darren Burden, the executive director of Kitech Sports Park, speaking on Common Room. Now, as you may already know, our Money Talk program has been extended to an hour, and that means we have more finance related topics to offer you. On Monday, Carolyn Wright spoke to financial education consultant David Kneebone. To find out how we can help older family members deal with their finances, Carolyn began by asking Mr. Kneebone if handling finances post-retirement can come as a shock to many. I'm really glad we're talking about this topic because it's important. And yes, in answer to your questions, handling finances can be difficult and tricky for people of all age groups, particularly for people who find themselves uh, nearing retirement or in retirement. But there are some key steps that we can all consider. It's never too early or too late to seek assistance. It's a good idea to have a conversation with a licensed financial advisor or a professional financial planner. If you're in the years leading up to retirement or you've retired or you've been in retirement for some time, go and have a conversation with a financial planner about how you can best use what you've got available. Now, there's some rules that some of them might talk about. So let's say, for example, you've got uh, the average MPFA balance is around 
230, 250,000 Hong Kong dollars at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got 500,000, just to pick a figure. Okay. You might hear someone say you should spend 4% of your capital each year if you're 65 and you've got that much money. It's often what you, you'll hear these different terms that financial advisors might use. You've got to work out whether that's the right thing for you. What would what would you end up in years two, years three, years four, years five, assuming returns? A financial advisor can help you with that equation. Should you continue to invest? And if so, at, at what risk level? Often earlier in our lives, we tend to put money we save via MPFA, via other forms of investment into higher risk categories, what we call growth investments. Mm-hmm. Is that the right thing for you in your retirement? Well, it's a question that, again, professionals in this area can assist you with it might be worth leaving some in a growth fund putting other a a different amount in a more conservative fund or putting it in a bank account where it's possibly more secure these are the types of questions that those people can help you with there's a lot of publicly available information you don't have to go to a financial advisor to answer these questions but the key thing is okay I'm I'm near retirement. This is what I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get. How much do I need to spend? What am I gonna do? So form a budget. How long might I live for? Now I think it's probably worth if you get to sixty five and you're healthy, yep. you're likely to live around thirty years. Yeah. So how are you gonna spread that money over that time? What government assistance can you get? Because there is government assistance yep. available in Hong Kong and in, in many circumstances. Are my children going to help me? Yeah. Do, are my parents still alive, which isn't uncommon? Is there any inheritance coming? All these questions are really key. And that's you can either go through a process to answer them yourself or you can seek professional advice. Great. So that there is a lot of assistance available out there from professional sources. Now, what happens, you mentioned there, say, that you, you might have children who want to, to look after you. How, if you are one of a child of someone who is retiring and you spot that they are struggling with their finances in retirement, is, is there any way that you can help them? What would be the best plan there? I think the most important thing, and this is true of all age groups, is to try and open up the conversation about money. And again, and and, and for many households, it's a bit of a taboo subject still, Mm -hmm. but it's really important. And ideally, you'd be in a trusted relationship with the older relatives that you're referring to. And ideally, you would be in a position where if they were confronted with a question or a decision that they had to make about their money, that they would share that with you. That's important. It's really important. It's really important that we try and encourage older members of our community to not have to make decisions by themselves because often that unfortunately can be where people get into trouble. So if they decide not to seek professional help from a licensed financial advisor, and again, that's your choice. Yep. I would encourage people to talk to family members. I would encourage people to talk to friends. I would encourage people to learn what they can. If you see your parents struggling or your uncle, reach out to them and try and start a conversation. And don't be frustrated if you immediately get rebuffed. It might take several attempts because sometimes money isn't something, particularly for older generations, that people are comfortable talking about. You really, but it's really important, particularly 
in the society that we are in today, where unfortunately the elderly are prey to many different people trying to get their money off them, to put it basically. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that was something I was really wanting to ask you about, is the kind of thing about putting safeguards in place. Because we hear so much in the news here about people being scammed out of significant amounts of money. So is is there anything, that you know, any education that people should be doing or just anything that, like like, friends and family should be looking out for to say, this doesn't seem right, you know. I think that the first thing is to try and develop an open dialogue about it. That's really, really important. And it's not uncommon for all sorts of members of society of any age to be offered those initial coin offerings. There's still Lon loco London gold offerings around. Cryptocurrencies, of course. Yeah. Property deals that just look too good to be true. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of different options. And often they come very targeted and very personal. If you see someone struggling with a decision about investment, then see if you can help. And it's, we're not just talking about investments, obviously. This is quite a broad topic. Yeah. If you're confronted with having to make a decision, please seek assistance. And you've got to be really careful. If you see someone that you think might be in trouble, sometimes it's, it's embarrassing. And they don't necessarily want to to talk about it because they might have lost some money already and they're trying to then trade out of it and do various things. That's really when they need most help. Unfortunately, romance scams yeah. are a really um, significant issue and they prey, people prey on the lonely and the vulnerable. If you think that you've been a victim of a scam or if you're unsure about a call you've had, an email you've had or any other issue, Call the anti-scam hotline. Mm -hmm. The number in Hong Kong is 18222. It's run by the Hong Kong police. There is a call centre of people waiting there simply to help you. And it's really worth having a conversation with them if you're unsure. Finally, to close this week on three, I leave you with a bit of Steve James and his afternoon drive on Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. This day, 1965, The Temptations went to number one on the US singles chart with this Smokey Robinson pen song, making the group the first male act to have a number one for Motown. Here is my girl. I got sunshine.